Which American state sells the smallest drinks? Minnesota. Hi there, my name's James, and thank you so much for checking out my podcast, Dad Mind Matters, helping men to safely navigate family life without losing their minds. In this podcast episode, I talk to Steve, a dad from Minnesota in the States, about his life as a teacher and a dad coach. Minnesota. Uh, okay, I spent six months in Minnesota on my university placement. I worked at a golf resort uh, in near Brainerd. It, Madden got, Madden's on, gold, on Gull Lake? Yes, yes. So what did you think of that? I loved it. It was brilliant. It was, it was I, I think I was, must have been, I think I had my 21st out there actually. So I have, we had uh, my first and last ever keg party um and it was brilliant it was it was good it was a bit like um were you living in the forest in in sort of sheds and um you either worked in the golfing resort or you worked in a restaurant it was a lot it was good fun a keg party is a traditional rural minnesota event for young people for sure young adults and it was um what was the beer we used to drink the old um um milwaukee's best ice Oh, Which that apparently, sounds <laughs> terrible. Apparently, but, it's really rough. Um, all the guys were like, you don't drink that. That's for students. You don't drink that. Um, but I remember <laughs> we got through crates of it. But no, I liked it. I liked it. it was, the thing I found interesting about Minnesota is that when we, when we arrived in April, there was like six feet of snow. Mm-hmm. And then through the summer, it was a completely different place um just the temperature the, the the difference in weather out there was amazing yeah and you were here at a good time right because when you arrived people were just finishing up you know four four months at least of 30 degrees and below they say it can be pretty cold the 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 the, the winters can be pretty pretty brutal yeah today was four degrees this morning when we got up right. fahrenheit so uh, yeah, that's chilly. That is chilly. So, Steve, just so for the per- benefit of my um, uh, my podcast listeners, could you tell us a bit about who Steve Anderson is? Okay. Um, well, I'm I'm a dad first, right? And I can And I actually went through. Um, my sons came through first. I was the boyfriend. Okay. Then I was the stepdad. You know, and then after that, and unfortunately, you know, tying to the mental health stuff, their biological dad had a lot of PTSD and other things and ended up drinking himself to death, which was horrible. Uh, But then then so I adopted the boys so that, you know, that was kind of that was my path um, to uh, fatherhood. And uh, right now uh, I used to teach at a college for the last 20 years and I did. men's work on the side, right? You know, working with men, doing my own work. And I also, for about 10 years, ran a uh, very, very small uh, nonprofit Boys to Men Mentoring Network of Minnesota. So it was really working with teenage boys, really, well, like 12 to 17. And so that, you know, I did those things after work. And I got to the point where it's like, okay, I I like teaching, but this is more important. And so now I've turned all of my focus uh, into fatherhood and, you know, helping men become better fathers. And so uh, part of that, short end for me, my dad 
his father died when he was five. Right. And his mom would start, you know, if was it for whatever reason, she would bring in the broken guys. Right. Just to right. bring in a just to bring in a male male influence. Yep, and and a lot of alcoholics, and so he's grew so when he became a dad, he had all of that baggage that he hadn't really dealt with. So he was very distant and actually uh, he's kind of was anxious by nature and had a, a mental breakdown uh, when I was about 14 right. and the whole, you know, locked up for 30 days to keep him from killing himself and just. Oh, so he really was, was really was kind of like what I suppose like in I don't know if it's the same. It's referred to the same but in, in the UK that people get sectioned. If they're a harm to themselves, that you can be sectioned. If if if, if you're a harm to others and to or to yourself, um, and yeah, well, that must have been really tough for you. I mean, that, that must have had a really profound effect on you. Um, yes, and as a young, as a teenager, right, and as I'm like, okay, this is just normal, you know. What I mean, and I think that's yeah. the, the tricky part, right? When we're kids, what's ever going on? We think we have so much power over this situation, right? Like if I just do this, my parents won't argue or, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. And that was like ignorance is bliss, isn't it? It's like we know so little at teenagers yeah. that you think you, you're indestructible. You think you know it all. Right. But it, ignorance is also cruel when you then become an adult, kind of bringing those same messages, you know. So yeah. that was that that distance that, that that's normal. Um you know, it's very interesting when I was older and looking into this. Adult children of alcoholics have certain certain behaviors that you, that kind of come from that. And my dad wasn't an alcoholic, but, you know, both my parents had mental illness. And there's a lot of similarities in that, you know, you don't talk about it, especially in the 80s in rural okay. Minnesota. So there's there's that secrecy. And so, you know, there's those weird things like I remember um, my coping mechanisms were always socially very good. Right. Because if I did well at school, nobody would ask me what's going on at home. Right. You know, so I put that outward face of, you know, being so school successful, work successful. Um, and yet, like if I ever got a note from the like a letter in the mail from the school or like a boss that they wanted to talk to me, I would immediately go to what did I do wrong? Right. Okay. So you, you you grew up in a bit of a in a in a stressful environment. So you got used to going to the worst case scenario, I suppose. Yeah, that is a, a uh, <laughs> spot on. That uh, I hadn't put all that together, and that succinctly. That's totally it. And so it, you know, it took a long time and some work to get to that point where it's like, oh wait a second, you know, taking that breath. What's really you know. Um, it's kind of like getting back into the moment of, hey, what's going on right now? How's work going? Actually, it's going pretty well. So this is probably going to be a pretty good yeah. you know, meeting. Um, so that's jumping around a little bit. A lot of the things that got me to here. Yeah. Well, it sounds it sounds like you're you've got all the experience, the sort of lived experience and professional experience to be doing what you're doing. Um, so just tell us a little bit about what work you do now. Right. Well, so um, I'm a fatherhood coach right? and the way that there's there's different ways that I'm going about, you know, getting that information. Right. There's a, um, I've got a 10 week program. Right. Which is the, you know, the paid coaching program yeah. that will, you know, um, walk 
uh, walk our father through kind of the, well, 10 weeks of, you know, going from, you know, what's my vision of the father that I want to be, you know, what are the roadblocks, what are the skills that I need to, to build up and, um, you know, a, a section on just dealing, recovering from COVID for our children. Because if you look at, you know, that was such a mess. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think my, people my, have really recovered from that. No. And, and the, you know, the academics are bad enough, but the, the other thing is that there's at least, and this is documented right over, you know, a year plus of social emotional learning that was just got lost because kids were sitting at home, you know, in, in front of a computer screen. Yeah, I do feel, I really feel for um, all children who went, well, everyone who went through the pandemic, but I think especially children who are coming to the end, like you were in the last year of school, who didn't get to have the parties, the proms, didn't get to have that sort of actual acceptance of the an ending of an era. I, and I think, as you said, um, as well as it just being sad, they will have actually missed out on some social development of things you naturally have to go through in order to be ready for the next stage. Yeah, in in my last, I would even see it in my last semester of teaching. Um, and these are young adults for the most part. And in certain classes, half the students wouldn't do the work. And I would be like, okay, um, you didn't do this. This builds on stuff. So I'm not, you know, no point in throwing judgment and trying to, you know, so but I'm just, what, help me understand what's going on. And one of the guys is like, well, we can just turn it all in at the end of the semester, right? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, no. That, but do you, think, but, do you think that's, they've been conditioned through the pandemic to think that was the, the new norm? Absolutely. And I even looked in one of my schools, their graduation rates in, in, in certain groups went from 80% to 99%. <laughs> and my okay. guess is the teaching didn't get better during the the pandemic. No. So there's a lot of just promotion it's show up. Done. And well, well, I suppose a lot of a lot of teachers. I mean, I'm married to a teacher. My wife's a teacher. I think a lot of people would say there are such enormous things going on in the world that actually, do we have time to to focus on this to give us? Which is a shame for the for the kids who lost out um i imagine that's what it is when you've got you know we we were living through a pandemic we were living through something that as a generation we'd never gone through anything even you know we, when, when when had you ever gone through weeks of having of not being able to to leave your home or having to wear masks everywhere um so i'm guessing unfortunately things like teaching standards probably did naturally just go slightly out the window well, yeah, and and then it's not universal too, right? Because we have two boys. One of them, our youngest, being online, he loved it. You know, yeah. kept up with everything. Uh, our oldest, it was like, no, it was it was absolutely a lost year that took him a long time to recover because it, you know, we're not exactly hardwired right to to be kids and teenagers and no. just learn through a screen. That's no, it's not crazy. natural. It's not good for you. And I imagine there are certain people, I mean, if you're introverted, you might quite like the the kind of, I get, I get to kind of, it's a bit more of a controlled environment, but some people, I think we all need um, human connection and interaction, but I think I suppose people need it to varying degrees. 
And I suppose depending on how much you needed, it was how you felt you went, how you got through the pandemic. Yeah. And I, I can't, I can't imagine, right. We can see the children going through it and the young adults, but you know, both of us, right. We're, we're older and we'd been through all that. And I don't know about yeah. you, but for me, I'd already taught online. So when we switched and I had to teach all my classes online, I had some experience with it. Yeah. I made the best of it. You know, I've had a room that I could use. This is my office. It became my office, you know? So for me, I'm very lucky to be in a position where it was like COVID. Yes, it was, it was a drastic change, but for me, you know, my job wasn't, I got to keep my job, you know, um, it wasn't great, but it also wasn't, you know, so many yeah. people, right. Went through much harder things. Like for my wife and I, we both were able to basically switch over to being online and doing our work, um, which, um, you know, a, a lot easier case than I think for a, a lot of people. Yeah, I think certainly being able to keep your job. I mean, and I, th I think, and I don't know what it's like in the States, but I think we're seeing the fallout of it now. I think a year or two on, I think people are really, really struggling with money. I mean, you know, whether that's because companies, you know, are, you know, they're not backfilling redundancies or they're, or they're letting people go. I think that's a really scary place to be. So even if the job's not exactly what you want to do, it's a job. And I think... It, that it, you know, I think I feel very lucky just to have employment at the moment. And yet, how how much of a double edged sword is that for dads, right? Who traditionally our job is okay, provide, yeah. And now you feel like, well, crap, I got to stay in this job because the situation's so yeah. bad, but I don't like it, or, or no. worse. Well, I talk about this quite a bit on my podcast about because obviously, I mean, I, I have a job. I work for a charity. I, I, I work for a charity and we support uh, dads, young dads who are struggling. But I've also, you know, I this podcast is something I might I hope becomes becomes a career. I've got a YouTube channel. I think the one thing that's really helped me whenever I've been in jobs and I'm frustrated and I don't feel like I'm moving on is just make sure you have something like some sort of side hustle to do so that when you go so when you know you work nine to five at the day job that pays your bills and means that you, you know the kids have food and you pay the mortgage but then if you if you start you know have a have an, another job or another thing the thing that really fires you up that you do from seven or eight once the kids are in bed till midnight and that i think can really help you feel like you are progressing in something if you just think i'm just on a on a treadmill doing a job I don't want to do and I'm stuck in it because financially there's no way of leaving it. And, and I think too, so much right of, of what our kids, they're watching us way more than they're listening to us. Yeah. Right. So by having that, like for, for me, I was one of the things that I thought about, am I going to, I had a, a tenured position, right. Which meant I could, it was pretty darn secure and it's like, but I wasn't getting the same satisfaction of it. And I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to model for my boys? Yeah. You know, and so part of it is like watching my dad go into his office as a kid and just being gone, right? And I got that message that cubicles will kill you was the message I got growing yeah. up. So I didn't spend much time in cubicles, but I'm like, okay, um, yeah, I if I don't do it now, it's just going to be something I regret later. And I don't want to be. Excuse me. 
You know, I, I don't want to be the guy who's the dad who's bringing his work home with them and yeah. locking myself in my office. But it's, and it's difficult because I think a lot of people, when I sort of say, oh, you know, work on your dreams, have a passion. They go, well, I, that's easy for you to say. I can't. It's not that easy. I have I have nine to five. And then when I get the minute I get home, I'm a dad. It, so the, the, you're asking me to neglect my family duties and, you know, not be present for my partner. I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that instead of watching telly or going to, going to the pub or, you know, you might have to say, OK, if, I, if I'm not where I want to be, you know, I, I, in, in a decade, I may be if I chip away at something for four or five hours every day. And that might be the thing that I look forward to when I'm when I, you know, at work and my boss is driving me mad or just I'm just bored. You can daydream about what it is you're doing. And I think that's a good thing to model to your children to say, look, you, there will be things you have to do in life. You've got to pay bills. Uh, certainly, if you want to be a, a father and you want to provide for your family, that's just a fact that has to happen. But it doesn't necessarily mean you can't have interest and excitement and fun in your life. You know, it's just what you choose to do in the, the time you have. And what about too? And if, if a side hustle isn't something that's like fires you up, what if what if instead you're like, OK, I see a guitar behind you. Right. I've always wanted to get good at guitar or I've always wanted to do woodwork paint learn about small engines well what if that you know and then that becomes that thing where maybe you're you can and you only have to be a little bit ahead right you can you can have that part of the family too right i'm learning guitar maybe there's a musical instrument right yeah it's i think it's important for your children to see that you are you that your parents can be a multifaceted human being they're not just someone's dad or someone's mom i think it's because as you said, they model the behavior they pick up is what you model. So if you model someone who gets up and think, you know, th- there's a world out there and I can do what I want. It's going to take a lot of work. It's, there's going to be lots of ups and downs. You know, the, the point to success is not a it's not a, a to B straight line. It's going to be, you know, and if I think I want to get there in a year, try 10. You know, it's um, I do. I um, coach Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to children. I also train it. And the reason I like it is it's incredibly hard. It's very humbling. I've I've been doing it about seven years. I'm not very good. But I think I like about it is it kind of, if if you get used to being able to do difficult things, everything else in your life just suddenly seems slightly easier. Well, and how about, too, the benefits of of getting comfortable with failure? Yeah, because I think that's what it is. That's all it is. You're either just okay with with your ego's okay. If oh, I'll try something, and if it's but what if it's rubbish? So what? I won't do it again. Or I'll try. You know, it's. I think you're right. I think that's one of the best things you can teach your children. And the only way to do that is to model that. Is go well. Look, Dad tried lots of things, but he never gave up on them, and he didn't see it as oh, I failed. It didn't fail. He just found one way not to do it. <laughs> so you don't do that again. I took a. I I wanted to for forever take a pottery class. And as as a teacher, we got tuition reimbursement. It was like my last year. I'm like, this is my only chance to get it, you know, at a low cost. So I, I took this pottery class. Brilliant. And I purposely brought home some of the ugliest stuff I made. That's going to go into the, the trash, you know, the big thing. Because it's like, hey, I'm having fun. Look at this ugly cup. I don't care that it's ugly because this ugly cup is how do I get to this little bit better cup? You've got to have a starting point and you've got to be okay with that starting point. And a lot of people aren't. A lot of people just, 
their egos are too fragile that anything um and I, I had to do a lot of work i've had to do a lot of work on and i think that's why a lot of people don't start podcasts or youtube channels or try and reinvent themselves and learn a new skill because like what i don't want to be rubbish for the first two years i'm like well there's no way around that unfortunately you you have to you have to be awful at something in order to not be awful at it but if you can see it as a kind of a, a bit of an adventure then then that's you know then you'll keep going so what else do you think okay so there's one idea if you look at life as an adventure the the, the failure is just a part of it i'm trying to think about this too it's like how do, how else would you say how do we get people who aren't comfortable with failure comfortable with failure i i would i think we need to change the um the, the narrative i think to take the word failure out it's just it's a result you, di you didn't get the, re the result you wanted you got a result because instantly a few people think well okay i, I didn't think about it like that okay i've got a result it's not the result i wanted yeah. but i got a result which is better than if i hadn't even tried and i would have got no results yeah um because i think if you just change you know success and failure is too black and white and life is not black and white it's gray area and I think if you can kind of go, oh, well, you know, I, I, I put my first podcast out and I hope for a thousand views and I got one. All right. You got one. It's not brilliant. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> hand your noses in just yet, but you got one and you, you know, you would have learned a lot of stuff of what not to do. Don't do that again. And just keep, I, I think, yeah, I think it's difficult because I imagine, um, you know, schools are really just have become places where you're really just, you're just training kids to be able to pass a test to an extent uh, and and the the focus on points at least in the u.s is you know the if you say something in class the the one of the first responses you'll ever get is is this graded right and if it's not graded it's like well then there's no reason for me to do this because they're not there to learn they're yeah, there to get x amount of points and i think that's the, well, it's certainly the same in the uk i imagine it's the same all over the world and we've got we've got it wrong We've got, you know, wouldn't it be lovely for te teachers to go and go, right, what do you want me to, what do you want me to teach you, you know, in the realm of geography or history or, and just have that freedom and trust to go, wow, you know, as opposed to, right, we need to learn this because you're going to get tested. And then our funding depends on, well, you know, it, it, it's sad, but it's what, it's where we're at. You, you kind of hope that things will revolve back somewhere that's a bit more free. Yeah, or or at least make clear that okay, you might not like math, um, but here's a couple ways that this is going to benefit you, right? There's the basic math, and then there's also about yeah, this is hard, but it's logical. So you might not like math, but when you do this hard work and you put in this mental practice, it's going to you know strengthen your mind, give you yeah. the ability when you get to that thing that you really care about. You know, you'll have that fortitude to go okay. You know, I've it's done all, algebra. Yeah, I can do you, this thing I love. You don't like maths, but when you but you like getting paid, and money is maths. It's you know you don't like geography, but you maybe like planning a holiday and, and a route to get somewhere. Yeah. I think you just need to to make it interesting to to whoever you're trying to teach. Um, but I think of all the great teachers. Um, you know, the, 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 and they were, you know, it was rare. Probably, probably, I think it's, I think it's probably very difficult to be a teacher now because you're so constrained by what you can and can't do, what you can and can't say. Um, 
but it should be it should be not you should be you know encouraging learning encouraging questions and yeah that's sad that they're like is this graded you're like well life isn't graded but you know we the other thing i just want to throw in there too is so because i've got this this open time i wouldn't got my substitute teacher license right so about Roughly every every other week, I'll go in and teach for a, or a sub, not really teaching. Half the time, you're just showing videos. But I'll go in, and my goal is, and I've gotten through like kindergarten through ninth grade, <laughs> right? And I like popping in because so I can see what third graders are, are what their school's like, what they're going through, you know, then see the difference between like, holy cow, you move from fourth grade into fifth grade and you do that on the same day. And it's almost culture shock about just how much more squirrely. So it's, it's been fun. And one of the things that I'll see too in the classroom is you've, you have the whole spectrum you have. I had in the same class, there was one table, they had to do a, a water, water cycle project. In this one table, everybody else was drawing a, just a picture on a drawing it out on a board. They were having a blast making 3D models out of cardboard. You know, just having this great experience, having fun, learning, doing this. And then the table over is doing nothing. And I go over there and I say, So what's going on here? And they're like, Oh, we're not doing it. <laughs> you know, and it's like not optional. Okay, but you know, both things going on in in yeah. that classroom, you know. Um, but I imagine so it's, I, if, if you've got how many children will you have in an American classroom? Um, about twenty eight thirty. Okay, yeah, same in same in the UK. I I I did a bit of I was a teaching assistant and learning mentor, and and I teachers just it's just crowd control. If you've got one or two kids in the class, and my 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 children struggle with this. You've got one or two kids in the class. Who are just have that have sort of support needs that then the school may not have the resources to meet and support. But the problem is that means that all the other children don't get educated, which is a shame. Well, it's more than a shame, but it's you know sometimes I sort of say to the to the you know if, if my son's class is out 10, 20 minutes later and she oh, what, what's going on? Oh, so and so was messing around or doing a silly dance or so we all had to wait till he stopped. I'm like. Oh, how frustrating. They're basically one yeah. child. One child's obnoxious behavior is basically meaning that 29 can't go home. Um, <laughs> but that's probably, that's basically society, isn't it? Yes. And, you know, one of the things I get, <laughs> I had this one young guy, probably, you know, 14, just I basically, you know, had to always have an eye on him, watch him like a cop because he's, you know, just being nuts and and as an instigator right he, he's smart i could see him walk from one group to yeah. the other group and then kind of like looking over and it's just like so i'd go over and just say you know t- talk to him and and the thing though that i would wonder too because of all the you know the work that i'd done with, with teenage boys is i am wondering what he's going home to exactly it, in one hand it's difficult and frustrating because you're like I've got to teach you. I'm being paid to teach you. So this this is a headache for me. But yeah. it's very good that you've got the, the compassion to think home life might be rough and he yeah. might be desperate for an attention, even negative and negative attention because you don't know what he is or isn't dealing with at home. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely one of the reasons I 
taught at college is just because I wanted people to, you know, have made the choice to be there, you know, putting their money into the, the, the classes. That makes a big difference. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting though, to be in the schools and to go to a, you know, a, a different school can have a totally different vibe. Yeah, I bet. Uh, so, so our kid, that's, yeah, I, one of the things that's been neat about it too for me is like I got home after doing uh, kindergarten and some reading stuff, kindergarten to second grade, and we'd take the kids out and there's a reading specialty thing. And just to realize, right, that our kids, uh, a lot of them are maxing out their ability, you know, socially, intellectually to get through that day, you know, so we're wiped out from a day of work. You know, yeah. they can be wiped out. Oh, from, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes yeah. the uh, sometimes the the kids' behaviour is appalling because they're probably holding it together all day at school. They're just and you're like you're being you're being not very nice, but it's because they're just exhausted. And and you know, and I imagine I imagine school. I don't miss going to school. I imagine school's still a fairly tough environment uh, yeah. to survive in. Um, how do you find coaching dads? Um, oh, it's, you know, well, in typically, right, he, the person who's going to look for a coach is already on the, you know, is already on a good path and motivated. Yeah. You don't have to, they're here because they want to be here. And they're also, it's a financial contract. They don't want to waste their time with the money. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, that, that... so I think that the, the, the biggest thing in the, the men that I, that I talk to, um, it, is that work-life balance and typically right being so stressed out at work it's like it, it takes energy right to to be present and if you're burning up everything that you've got at work it's really hard to come home right and then you've got these things that you want to do but the energy isn't there so i think you know the yeah that's a really the, good point we're putting it actually i kind of yeah you you come home and you just want to melt. You're just, you've got nothing. You just want to melt into a chair and just scroll through or watch some rubbish just because your brain has no, and I suppose, and your partner gets frustrated because they're like, I've not seen you all day and I want to talk. And you're like, I, I'm coming, I'm coming across that I don't care. I'm just, I've got nothing left. I, I'm on the ropes. Is that something, is that, do you, is that kind of what the, you, you see there are trends or there are themes that the dads you're supporting? Um, Yes, and that and that's one of the ways. It's like when you're when you're doing. It's not like when we talk. It's because of that. Some of the stuff that like we'll do in the the program I got is about how to get people on your side, including at work, or right. at least out of your way. So sometimes, you know, to to be the dad that you want to be, it's absolutely going to influence how you show up at work, right? Whether that's finding a way to to um take the importance level down yeah of, of work a little bit right so the work crisis doesn't become your home crisis to also you know having those conversations right and you know we talked earlier about that when the job market is rough and there's a lot of fear out there you know we can feel like oh well, i have to do whatever that they they mm. say and you know how is that going to play out over time? Where do you, where are you comfortable setting boundaries at work? How do you set them, right? How yeah. do you have the conversations to say, look, 
I am doing a good job. I'm doing this, this, and this, and I'm going to go home being sane. Yeah. You know, and, and set I'm, things yeah, up. I'm, and then I'm not course... going to feel guilty if I'm leaving at my uh, uh, con- contracted hours. I'm not, it's not the whole thing that I'm, I've got to wait till the boss goes home so I can go home. I'm like, I'm, I'm going home now. Um, I suppose, as you said, the pressure is when the job markets are, is pretty lean and finance, you know, the cost of living goes up. You're like, it, it, I suppose it puts an added pressure on, I can't lose this job. You know, I it's all on me. So there's, I imagine there's just a lot more pressure on anyone who's providing for their family at the moment. Yes, and though I think there are things that you can do, like for example, right? What's what's the most one of the things? Right, nobody wants to do a job search typically, and one of the things is right because oh my goodness, I'm going to have to fix up my resume or my CV. Well, if you're in a crappy job and you're not happy, even updating your resume. This seems so overwhelming. You, just seems like oh, I can't do that. That's just too much work. But if you break that down into smaller parts, yeah, right. That's a good don't point. do the whole resume. Just write down your current job thing. You know, if you do that one week, and you do a little piece, you know, within, you know, within a month or two, you could have a whole up to date resume. Yeah. and once you've got it, just send it out. Keep sending it out. You know, even right. if you could, even send it out for jobs you're not really that bothered about because having a having a job offer is is a quality problem. Even if you're not that bothered, you're like, do you know yes. what? Why not? If it's if it's not, sometimes you know, if if you're stuck in an office but the money's good, and you go for a job that's a bit more outdoorsy or has a bit more flexibility, and it, it means you might have more time for your family, or just might have it. It's changing up, a bit interesting. That might be, you know, the whole a change is as good as a rest. I think sometimes that's a good way of looking at it. Yes, and if you're in a job that's in that's beating you down, there's a there's a chance, right, that you're even feeling insecure about yourself. Whereas if you can go back, you know, and look and say, "Oh man, I've done this, I've done that. This is why I'm a valuable yeah. person to this company." And next time you're having that conversation, you can be like, "Look, I have done these things." It also gives you some leverage, doesn't it? If you know that if yeah. you if you if you as you, and I think you're right. That's that's a really key point. If you break things down, any job can be broken down into bite-sized pieces. And then you suddenly think, once you do one, you go, I can totally do that every day. And then after months and years, you're like, oh, I can't, I can't believe how far I've come. If you know because you're getting job offers that there is work out there, a it takes the fear out, and also it gives you some leverage at work. If your boss, if your boss starts throwing his weight around, go well, actually. I don't need to put up with this because I know yeah. the worst case scenario says, well, I'm sorry, you're not working anymore. Fine. I know that I know there's work I can do. And I just think it probably gives you take it takes that stress away of 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 another person basically being able to dictate your financial situation. Yeah. And then right, and getting just taking a little even some stress off. Right. Now you've got that energy that you're not spending at work. Yeah. Right. So when you get home and I'm all for um, both giving our kids time to decompress when they get home, you know, yeah. so hold off on the how was school thing because you're probably not going to get a great answer right away anyways. But also for us, to, you know, definitely, you know, greet, connect. I'm, I'm glad to see you. And if I need to after, you know, making sure to touch in to go. Yeah, yeah. But don't get, you're right, don't rush. I get nothing. I get monosyllabic grunts at best from my kids if I if I'm yeah. if I'm lucky. But then why is that any different for me when I come home from work and 
I don't want to talk to anyone. Um, don't take it personally. It's, it's just. And that can even be the thing, right? You can say, um, come home. Great to see you. I'm taking 20 minutes for my mental health. It wouldn't surprise me, right? Um, a week later, right? Your son or daughter comes home and he's like, okay, I'm taking 20 minutes for my mental health. And well, they go to their it, room it's and self, it's like. It's a, it's a good self-awareness. If, you're, if you can model that behavior and your children pick up on that and yeah. see that it works, dad goes off for 20 minutes and he comes back much happier or much, I'm, you know, I take the dog for a walk or just go and meditate for 20 minutes or go and play the ukulele, do whatever. Just don't be, go from one job to another job. Um, that's good. That's really good advice. I really hope you got something from today's episode. And if you like what I'm trying to do, please hit the like button and subscribe. And also, are you a dad who would like to tell his dad's story? If so, let me know in the comments. I hope wherever you are in the world, you're okay. Take care. That mind matters, helping men safely navigate family life without losing their minds. Two podcasts every week on a Monday and a Thursday.